0: You're listening to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast, a product of the Oregon Basketball Coaches Association. To learn more, visit our website at or.nhsbca.org. Welcome to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. I'm Derek Duman, OBCA Vice President and Boys Basketball Coach at West Albany High School. Today, I'm joined by Greg Warburton sports performance, mental, and emotional fitness coach, author, and certified counselor. Greg, how are you doing today?
1: Hello, Derek. I am doing great, and
0: I appreciate you having
1: me on. Thank you very much.
0: Yes, thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Uh, For those uh, listeners that maybe aren't familiar with you or what you do, can you give us a little background about yourself and, and what it is that you do?
1: Certainly, I would be happy to. Usually, I tell in just two or three sentences that I grew up in the 1950s and 60s, living and breathing sports. My father was a coach in high school. I played all the sports. And back in those days, sports for me and mental toughness was just be tough and shut up. So that's relevant. To what we're talking about today, because 40 years later, as we take take a look at what's involved in mental training and sport performance, that will be that will matter because we want to expand the model. But I, I also grew up in a very safe time, which I'm now thankful for, different than what the young people face today in a very uncertain world. But then and At age 21, 22, both my parents died a year or so apart. And then I was in a motorcycle car wreck at age 27 and lost my right leg below the knee. And so life was kind of crazy and upside down. And so I tell this part of the story because it led to my career. And when I had that motorcycle car wreck at age 27, I had just run my first marathon, the first great potato marathon in Boise, Idaho. (laughs) And my conditioning helped me be alive. But during my convalescence, as a new amputee, I volunteered at Boise Ranch for Teens in Trouble, in the north of the Idaho town where I grew up. And I learned that I loved working with kids and so I headed back to school to get a master's degree in counseling and spent the next 39 years as a mental health counselor with kids and teens and families. And the last 15 years working at ABC House in Albany, Oregon, Child Advocacy Center for Abuse and Neglected Children, which gave me a foundation for how to deal with trauma and anxiety and about 15 years ago, then I entered the sports world, re-entered in a more direct way when Dan Spencer, the pitching coach at Oregon State University, opened the door after I had bothered him for a couple of years saying, maybe I could help. And he agreed that I teach some of the methods back in 06 and 07 that I taught then, the, the same methods I will talk about today because it's a system it's methods and practices that actually work and are helpful to help young people live more constantly in a relaxed body and calm mind so i've thoroughly enjoyed being out on the leading edge as a lifelong open-minded learner always i'm focusing on how can i improve which leads me to look at who's doing what that's truly useful and under the umbrella of helping young people
0: and so that's what brings me to have this conversation with you today yeah you know mental training in sports is something uh, that's evolved quite a bit uh, as you mentioned since when maybe you were participating in sports at a younger age Uh, can you talk about why it's so important especially for high school athletes absolutely Uh, the point and
1: purpose of what i'm teaching and what i wanted to get to talk about today is the aspect that the single point of agreement in sport performance certainly is the mental aspect matters but you and i know that across sports especially major the major sports in our nation that Practices are not often connected to the mental aspect. So for the young people who are who are appropriately advised to learn to be mentally tough, learn how to handle your emotions and keep them off the quarter field and learn how to compete with confidence. Absolutely on target advice, but the significance and the value of mental training is we now can connect specific skill practices so that the young people can learn how to actually do what coaches want them to do.
0: Right. And actually giving them some tools as opposed to just saying, hey, be mentally tougher. Right. and That's the goal. Absolutely the goal.
1: And at another level, mental training, I prefer the umbrella term mental and emotional fitness Training because we have to know and learn that there is an emotional component to the mental thoughts that we have. Most people don't know that every thought we have affects every cell in our body. The brain science has basically informed us now that the thoughts don't just stay in our head, they start there as words and then they impact our body. For example, the young athlete who has the thought don't choke don't miss the goal, don't miss the free throw, don't take a call third strike in baseball, don't miss an open kick on goal in soccer. The moment they have that thought, it impacts their body. And so we have to have ways to also help manage the physical sensations and the upset that goes on in, in the body.
0: Absolutely. I want to talk about or ask you about, you know, as we're still living through this pandemic, you know, we know youth are really struggling, uh, maybe even more so than in a typical year, both mentally and emotionally. Um, what is the starting place for us as teachers and coaches to start supporting our students?
1: Yes, um, I talk about starting place because sometimes young people say, to coaches I do want to learn how to be mentally tough and manage my emotions how do I do it and so I've started teaching that the starting place most people don't think about this but the starting place is for young people to be able to answer the question who is the most important person to start telling the truth to and it's not a revolutionary idea that telling yourself the truth can matter what's different and what I'm teaching is that that can become a practice, which I call practicing the courage of self-honesty. And so a starting place, because you cannot know what you want to do about your life. You cannot know what you want to do about anxiety in your life if you don't presently notice and admit how you're currently thinking and feeling. So a door in to supporting young people is to help them understand The ones who notice and admit that they're feeling anxious or nervous or worried or frightened are the brave young people, not the weak ones. So we have to flip the coin over, we have to bust the the myth that we only weak people ask for help or admit they're struggling. Not true. The truth is the brave young people who admit Are the ones who can then move forward and have a chance to do something about what's happening in their lives. If they only understood nothing more than the moment they admit I'm scared or I'm worried or I'm anxious, that moment of admission actually begins, things begin to change and the intensity of the emotional experience can begin to lessen
0: and and even diminish probably something I would imagine you know you can comment on this that we as coaches could probably do a better job of modeling as well, right? Because I know that we still get nervous at times or are anxious and um, modeling that for our players, I think would would help build that, that courage to acknowledge that.
1: Thank you for saying that, coach. Absolutely. Modeling is one way people learn. That's well, well established. So that's why I choose the word courage, sustaining a self-honest look inside for how we're thinking and feeling across a lifetime, in my view, as a courageous act each and every time. And not a lot of people do it.
0: Right. What are some strategies or techniques that we can use to help kids that might be in need of it or... Um, are courageous enough to note that they are struggling or anxious. Certainly.
1: I, the, one of the strategies I just mentioned is teaching self-honesty practice. And one way to get to that is to use the preface and invite young people to use the preface. When I tell myself the truth, this is how I'm currently thinking, feeling, and or behaving. So that is one practice and one strategy to build awareness. And ideally, we begin to catch thoughts that work against us rather than work for us. In sports terms, I've tried to coin the phrase, catch the thinking that's in the don't zone of your performance or the don't zone of life, what you think you don't want to have happen, and shift it to the do zone of performance. And all that means in practice is you catch the thoughts that you're having and ask one question, is this a thought that will work for me or work against me in achieving what I want? And if it's against you, then you change it. And it's not enough to notice you have to actually replace the thought with some, a new thought more in line with what you do want to have happen in the do zone if you will of thinking and performance so that cognitively that's one thinking skill one other practice in these times of high anxiety and uncertainty for all of us but certainly young people is the practice of learning how to breathe correctly so for years I, I always ask athletes I work with all over the nation please tell me what you already know about breathing to relax and or energize and invariably they say take a deep breath and that instruction is incomplete and not useful because that isn't what we want them to do so we can teach how to breathe by people listening to this podcast right now could simply put one hand on their chest and one hand on their stomach and inhale through their nose and notice which hand some, what happens to which
0: hand. And we don't want to be, well, I don't want to give it away. Do I? Oh, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. Maybe give them both answers. Maybe, yeah. maybe if they, which yeah. one, depending on which one they felt.
1: So, the, the point for us, and actually to provide a very useful strategy that is overlooked, is to breathe correctly. And that means inhaling through your nose. So I want to teach that your nose is for breathing, your mouth is for eating. So in the breath practice, the instruction is slow abdominal breath or, or belly breathing. And you can literally practice because everything I teach in the mental emotional fitness arena, I'm on a soapbox saying, practice, 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 once you know some things to do and practice. And then it can become fun because you do know some things to do and practice so that life doesn't feel so out of control. And breath is one. So inhaling through your nose and also expanding your belly on the inhale And then fully exhaling through your nose, ideally, but can be through your nose or mouth. And exhale longer, because the research shows that a longer exhalation uh, produces a greater relaxation effect. So exhaling longer relaxes you better. It activates you. We don't have to know the, the anatomy and physiology, but it activates The longer exhale activates the parasympathetic anxiety nervous system, which is the calming part of our nervous systems. And so these strategies are intended to help young people have practical ways to in effect manage their nervous system so that they're not in that fight, flight, freeze mode where they're panicky, anxious, worried, And they're bathing their brains and bodies in cortisol and adrenaline through this breath practice and learning how to breathe. And then also slowing your breath is one breath practice to relax your body and calm your mind and move in and out of anxiety or fear or worry.
0: Um, Those high energy emotional states yeah. Now, before we kind of started our podcast, you were telling me something I thought was interesting. It was like the the optimal amount of breaths, or uh, the certain amount of breaths per minute that you should take um, to create optimum optimal oxygen flow. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Because I thought that was fascinating, and i I doubt that. Um, well, I, I don't think that I am getting the optimum amount of oxygen. So. <laughs> Uh, If you could just talk about that a little bit, I thought it was very interesting. Yes, absolutely. So I'm learning
1: and connected to, I've read several books on breathing, but this 2020 copyright book, Breath, the main title, The New Science of a Lost Art by James Nestor, N-E-S-T-O-R, is a brilliant compilation of research and breathing practices all over the world. He spent 10 years as an investigative journalist interviewing and practicing the various breathing methods. But so if I was going to buy one book, that's a brand new one and it teaches. It's practical as well. So it's command knowledge of the subject, but it's also practical and useful. But in that he teaches that the average person, and you can kind of have fun with just counting your breaths the way you breathe now for one minute. An average person breathes 14 to 20 times a minute. The optimal number of breaths per minute for optimal health, meaning is about six. He actually gets as technical as to say
0: 5.5.
1: <laughs> but six breaths per minute, what that does is it promotes the interaction of oxygen and carbon dioxide so that the cells are most efficiently fed with oxygen. So carbon dioxide, which we think is a, a bad thing in our body system in the exchange of oxygen and carbon dioxide, the slower breath actually facilitates that optimal exchange so that we're um, have healthy cells.
0: There you go. So count your breaths for a minute, coaches. See if you're opt- optimizing optimizing your oxygen intake. Um, so we talked about some of these, you know, breathing techniques. Um, you know, the courageous uh, conversations, I guess, with ourselves and, and being able to recognize that we are anxious. How might we uh, as basketball coaches, as teachers, how can we implement this and these strategies into our programs or our classrooms? Certainly, I, that is
1: a critical question and a, and a key point. And the door in is I say to everyone I'm in front of, I only teach methods that I personally use and that I know work well for most people. So modeling is one way in the door. Another um, way to get the, to begin to introduce these methods and get buy-in is to raise again the point, which I do with teams I'm in front of. And that is you probably, you would agree that single point of agreement in Sport performance, top sport performance, consistent top sport performance is the mental aspect matters. And so I can get young people interested if I ask them to please tell me what do you think you already know about the mental aspect and managing the mind. And then I can also inquire what's one or two things you'd like to learn about how to be more mentally tough, how to manage emotions more effectively. And so I can inquire and ask another way. And then it's also about then not just talking about it, but doing it. So inviting young people to try it with you, just as I did with you today, before we got on the podcast you were that open-minded, lifelong learning coach leader who was willing to try something new. So you invite people to try it and feel it, especially when you're talking about breath and some of the body-based energy practices we may get to in the podcast. It's one thing to talk about, it's another thing to actually experience it. So if I, I can say to young people, when I can show you some doable skills, some things you can actually do to dependably relax your body and calm your mind when you want to start learning them. Question mark. And it doesn't always get buy-in, but it does with a few players, and we have to get some traction by it. the other way with coaches, if they usually have a leadership team, right? And so you can invite your team leaders to a meeting where you really need their help. There's some new methods you like to introduce. We all agree the mental aspect matters. We all agree that it's talked about as advice, but we're not taught how to do it. So now we're learning some skills and methods to use. So, leaders on the team please try these with me and then I'd like to introduce them and have your support bringing it to the team. For example I appreciate that um, I've worked with Arizona State women's basketball for the last three or four years and Charlie Turner Thorne a well-established coach 20 years into her career I honor her for being one of those rare established coach leaders open-minded who's willing to be a little uncomfortable again while she learns some new methods so that she can best serve her athletes that she serves and so we've added these practices that she was willing to have, was and has been willing to lead the way and now they have just a systematic way under the umbrella she preferred the term Mental and emotional fitness training for her, um, the young people under her guidance and her coaches. So, head
0: coaches leading it can certainly matter as well. Right. And another good point you bring up that, you know, we as coaches would also benefit uh, from these these practices as well. Yes. And probably some of the,
1: the listeners on your podcast know eric daisy from corvallis high school longtime teacher and coach in baseball some years ago he he and i started working together and eric as a head coach said to me i'm not going to ask my players to do any of what you're teaching even though i'm liking it and i think it's going to be good until i do it myself and experience it so that's the other positioning i've had from coaches as well
0: absolutely all right quick break uh we'll return with more from greg warburton right after this on the oregon basketball coaches podcast the start of school means it's time to sign up or renew your oregon basketball coaches association membership OBCA membership includes access to exclusive resources that help personalize instruction, understand players' mindsets, and maximize the impact of your practices. Members also receive access to the OBCA mentoring program and have a voice in improving the game at the state level. Membership starts at just $15 a year. Register online today at or.nhsbca.org. Welcome back to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Derek Dooming here, speaking with Greg Warburton. He's a mental and emotional fitness coach, uh, Coach. I want to talk about uh, your winning system. System, excuse me, Warburton's winning system, uh, and where you describe some emotional fitness techniques or EFT. Uh, can you talk about uh, defining what what is EFT or what are EFT? Uh, And how do you use those to help those that you work with? I would be happy to, because this is
1: under the umbrella of energy psychology. And 40 years ago, what that meant was the psychology field met the acupuncture system. And what that turned into was some innovative practices for how to activate energy points on our body and face and hands to dependably relax the body and calm the mind and so eft stands for emotional freedom techniques it's popularly called tapping if you went on the internet you would on youtube you'd find thousands of videos, teaching, tapping. I prefer to keep the original name, Emotional Freedom Technique, and I prefer to keep the 14 or 15 energy points in the system where the um, newer practitioners have shortcutted it to about eight points. But the point is, it's a very efficient and effective way to manage our nervous system and to calm down our bodies and minds, so that we can think and decide and perform the way we want. It's been around about 40 or 50 years, energy psychology, emotional freedom techniques is only one system, one technique under the energy psychology umbrella. But what what I want people to know, just in very general terms, to get a sense of this is that science has basically proven the acupuncture system, the meridians, or as the baseball players gave me a more common term for meridians, which is, they call them lines of energy. So for communicating, I invite people and it's primarily electromagnetic energy, though not only, and it's natural to our bodies and it's healing in nature, in its nature. And so, Imagine with me, we all know we have a circulatory system for blood. We want oxygen-rich blood flowing through clean veins and arteries. A vein or an artery gets blocked, bad things happen. So imagine that we also have an energy circulation system. Again, electromagnetic energy primarily. And it flows through 14 lines of energy. 12 of them are bilateral, meaning they run up and down both sides of your body. So imagine a little microtubule carrying energy, kind of like a vein or an artery, transports blood. And the single sentence theory is when we're not performing our best, it has more to do with blocked energy in our body-mind system than it has to do with lack of willpower or determination or a negative attitude. And so this is a technique where you can physically stimulate and stir up energy flow by physically tapping or massaging some energy points or acupressure points, acupuncture points on our face and body and hands. So it's a quick, effective tool. And some of the young people who are promoting it say it's like taking a jet plane to relaxation versus traveling in a Volkswagen Beetle with thinking. So it's quick, effective, and dependable. And it's been kind of fun for me because that's, I introduced this again when Dan Spencer at OSU opened the door for me, 06 607 07, and several of those pictures on those two champion, national championship teams were adding physically tapping energy points. You might remember Jorge Reyes, who actually got caught in the dugout at the 07 World Series on ESPN television, physically tapping energy points to where the announcers went down into the dugout trying to figure out what he's doing. So again, it's not an experiment. It's a very valuable health producing mental, emotional, physical health tool that is out on the the leading edge of the mental and emotional training, expanding the model out of the thinking brain into the body. And in effect, it's a way to talk to the body for um, high emotional states like anxiety and worry and fear and panic and traumatic emotional
0: experiences. So it's a very valuable tool. Yeah, if we wanted to maybe start using EFT with with our uh, students or our players, when should we be having them do this? Is it an everyday thing? Is it a once a week thing? What would that look like? (coughs) I appreciate that question. And what I would
1: what I am saying, saying now. is think about mental, emotional, physical health, think about a practice you could actually do that's healthy and um, pain-free and side-effect-free and free to use. And I've been saying, I've been tapping energy points for 20 years. And I say to people later in life, these athletes, I'm 40 years older, but I can say to them, I can work out lift weights not as heavy, but just as hard as you guys do. And I can use energy points and before workout and after for rapid recovery and not be sore the next day. You know, you see the young athletes sometimes lift so hard the next day they're grimacing if they literally try to move their bodies. So this energy runs through all our major body organs, all our major muscle groups and joints and uh, affect the neurochemical in our brain the ideal would be to just simply once you learn the points it takes 60 to 90 seconds tap breakfast lunch dinner bedtime 60 to 90 seconds each six minutes a day just with a simple intention of i choose to relax my body and calm my mind and then ideally using the energy points and the uh, three-step three-minute body-mind energy warm-up i showed you coach before the podcast as closely connected in time to the um, sporting event as you can and then you can use the energy points most sports you can use actually during um, competition where Mm -hmm. there's some spaces in time baseball the classic golf's the classic one um, but there's ways to, I worked with um, Chad Hankey, and any uh, athlete's name I mentioned, I have their permission to tell the story. But years ago in 2010-11, an State wrestler who um, in that year, the head coach um, asked five of his starting wrestlers to contact me on their own. And out of five, guess how many called me on their own? I would assume not very many, good. (laughs) And the answer is one. And now it's Chad. And the fun part of the story is he's the only one of those five who won two national championships and actually wrestled for Team USA for a bit. And I don't tell those stories because I'm so great. I tell these stories because when these top Athletes we work with add mentally emotional fitness skill practices, then they're consistently really good. But Chad had figured out how to tap single energy points even in between a wrestling match when he's moving from up or down position. So you don't have to tap mm-hmm. all the points all the time. So it can be. We talked about how to fine tune practices for pre game pre-practice during
0: and then after for rapid recovery. You mentioned your three minute pre-game routine, which I think is something that, you know, coaches might try to implement. It seems like it could be a a good pre-game to get kids ready or even pre-practice. Can you walk us through what that is and, and why is it beneficial to be done before uh, a competitive situation? I can
1: describe it, yes. And then I would invite the listeners you and I talked about, there's a YouTube video that I did with, again, with Eric Daisy Corvallis High, coach and teacher and a young track athlete at Corvallis High last year, lost his senior season in the top 400 meter runner, Sebby Law. But so you can see, actually see it if you want to after you hear me describing it. But the point and purpose is I bother, bug, challenge athletes to consider that trying to think their way to a good place, only using thinking for the mental aspect of the game is remarkably inefficient. That sometimes we think our way to a good place, sometimes we don't. So I suggest let's use this body mind energy warm up, three steps, three to four minutes, pre practice, pre game, pre weightlifting, as a way to be relaxed, energized, body calm mind. So you don't have to struggle with thinking, you can just be there based on doing the three steps. And the first step, and it's about energy again. We have energy in our bodies. Most people know we have electricity in our bodies, so this is electrical energy. A lot of people know they use electricity in the brain and the heart for tests for brain and heart health. And so it's about moving energy and keeping an energy circulation system open. And in doing that, we manage our nervous system, we relax our body and calm our mind. So step one actually goes clear back to the days of Brain Gym, 40 or 50 years ago. And we have a midline of the body, so imagine straight down your forehead, your nose straight down the middle of your body. And then you can sit or stand and cross your feet at the ankles, extend your arms out in front of you, one wrist on top of the other, touch your palms and turn your hands in against and let them settle against your chest. And in one to two minutes, the intention is to have energy crossing over the midline of your body as a way to... And I've talked to young people about high school students, especially who are still physically developing. These first two steps actually do boost coordination and balance as well as clear your mind, so hooking up hands and feet one to two minutes, breathing in through your nose, out through your nose ideally in through your nose inhale through your nose, out through your nose or mouth if you need to, intending to feel centered or balanced and grounded in one one to two minutes. And then and part of the practice is, Mastering the ability to move out of our head put our use our mental ability of attention because most people think the mental aspect is about thinking only, not true. Our mental ability of attention allows us to deliberately shift our focus. So I'm inviting young athletes to practice getting out of the top of their head and put their attention on the middle of their head down to their feet, scanning their body. So step one is crossing feet at the ankles, hands locked and and intending to balance. And when I do it, I see myself standing on a fulcrum, on a balance point, sometimes it's wobbly. And when I'm finished, it's just steady. Other people say they don't see anything, they just feel something. Step two is quickly midline of body again, You're just standing comfortably, not straining or stressing, just effortlessly crossing from one elbow to the opposite knee. Elbow to opposite knee 10 times or so. Again, crossing the midline of the body and boosting the energy crossover to to, um, help balance the coordination. And step three is one time around tapping the energy points that I wrote a protocol for. And the first three points around the eyes, I highlight to please keep those sentences because it's admitting point one at your eyebrows. I choose to let go of all noticed and unnoticed tension or nerves in my whole body and mind. Then at the side of the eyes, on the eye socket, you're tapping that point and the sentence is, I choose to let go of all noticed and unnoticed negative thinking and then under eyes under cheekbone tapping that point i choose to let go of all notice and unnoticed doubt about my upcoming performance and this is not about being negative it's about admitting what's already going on in our minds and bodies for most athletes a little bit of nerves a little bit of negative thinking a little bit of doubt so when athletes understand the moment they admit that, accept it and admit it, admit it and accept it, their body
0: begins to relax and, and um, calm down. Yeah, and I uh, we will be linking uh, to that YouTube video uh, that Greg was just talking about. So coaches in the episode description, if you want to uh, click on that, uh, it'll walk you through it. Uh, I will say that we did do it before the podcast and I physically felt different uh, after just those three minutes. Um, my, my shoulders were a little more relaxed and um, it was pretty uh, pretty amazing how just you know three minutes worth of, of time and attention can uh, really impact how you' how you're feeling, uh, as Greg was mentioning. So, Um, you talk about a little bit the language as well, uh, Greg, and the things you say as you're tapping, um, you talk about the importance of language in your book as well. Uh, why is the language so important, um, to this process? Because we
1: think in words and our brain runs our body. Every thought we have affects every cell in our body. We know this from brain science. And so we want to pay attention to and ideally build a championship vocabulary because the moment we think and say words, there are cascading effects into our body. So, for example, the, I work a lot with young people who are having challenges with what I call throwing accuracy in baseball. The second baseman who can't throw to first easily anymore, the catcher who can't throw back to the pitcher, et cetera. The moment they have the thought, "I don't," or "I can't," throw accurately anymore, then they become aware that their arm, their throwing arm, is all of a sudden tense and tight. They can't feel the release of the ball, so there's a cascading effect in the body. The moment they think and say those words. And so I talk about language. And I, um, the other day we were teaching a group of coaches from my and my my co-authors' new book. And we were talking about, I was talking about, I wish language-wise we'd get rid of any coaching that starts with don't, literally as a word choice, just remove it. And instead of don't, have coaches describe the skill the way they do want it executed. And then also, I wish we'd get rid of the word failure. You know, that classic in base the world of baseball is baseball is a game of failure where you can be successful only three times out of ten. Or you're successful when you're hitting three times out of ten. So we don't need to use the word failure because it's a loaded word mentally, emotionally, and people hear that word more than they hear the three. You just need three out of 10 hits. So we can replace words quite simply. So part of it is beginning to notice what our word habits are as a coach and as an athlete. If you're using don't lot, if you're using I hate this or that, or I can't, I won't, I don't, any of those words. The moment we change them and replace them, then we're having a different experience mentally, emotionally, and physically. Just lastly, I would say around the emotional freedom technique, people do kind of get attached to certain, I wanna know what to say. And for me, you don't have to know what to say because you'll know what to say when you tell yourself the truth so for example when i tell myself truth i'm nervous about this or that that's all you need to say while you're activating
0: energy points right. how do you approach i'm just kind of thinking of you know i work with high school students and um you know sometimes there's a Uh, High school males that probably, you know, if I'm telling about positive talk and and saying those things out loud, they're going to kind of feel silly, right? If I ask them to do that, how do you approach uh, maybe those athletes or kids that that don't want to feel quote unquote silly by doing some of these things? Yeah, partly I can start by that comment that anything
1: I'm telling them and teaching them, I do myself personally, that sometimes can matter. Secondly, I can state my intention, and my intention is I have no intention of embarrassing anyone. I have no intention of causing you to feel silly. My intention is to challenge you to think about what you're willing to do. When I ask TeamSys, have you made up your own mind what you're willing to do on a daily basis to be mentally, emotionally fit for yourself and for your teammates? So a question is a way in sometimes. And then I can ask for their help. How can we teach this so that it doesn't feel silly? How can we teach this so that people try it to see the value before they throw it away because of fear of embarrassment? So I can be curious with them. And I, I, in 40 years of asking for young people's help, I've never had someone say, I won't help you. Mm-hmm. So I could actually literally say, I'm a little worried that this might feel silly or people might think it's too embarrassing to try, like, physically tapping points. How can we introduce it and teach it, I need your help, so that we actually try it and then find out if it's useful or not. I also can say, I don't want you to blindly believe me that this works. I want you to consider trying it. No, I want you to consider actually doing it. I want you to do it first. And if it's embarrassing in front of people, let's try it in a more private setting as a, to get a little
0: traction, to get a little bit of buy-in. Yeah. All right, uh, we're gonna take another break. Uh, we'll return with more from Greg Warburton right after this. Stay up to date with the Oregon Basketball Coaches Association on social media at facebook.com/slash Oregon BCA or on Twitter at OR Hoop Coaches. Welcome back to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. We're talking with Greg Warburton. Uh, Greg, you have a new book uh, that you mentioned in our last segment uh, that you co-wrote uh, with Tyler Pazik. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, it's called Ask More, Tell Less. Uh, can you tell us a little about the book uh, and how it might help us as coaches?
1: Yes, actually, the official main title is Ask More, Tell Less for Coaches. My The original content that I wrote, a book titled Ask More, Tell Less, which is a compilation of practices and methods from my mental health counseling with kids and teens and families over 25 or 30 years with titled ask more tell less <clears throat> Practical guide for helping children achieve self-reliance So this is a spin-off because Tyler Pacek a young mental health mental um, performance practitioner started using the ask more tell less content from the original book with athletes and coaches he was working with and found it very valuable and so he said what if we rewrite this adding examples from sport instead of from children and families and so that's that book just came we just finished it in january of this year um, tyler put it on the amazon platform as a young person who's masterful with technology which i appreciated and um we're starting to teach um a six-week training program connected to the content of that book but at another level the book is standalone in the sense of it's my anytime i write i want it to be practical and useful immediately so I'm not selling, I'm teaching, but I would say to coaches that this approach, ask more, tell less, is not about surrendering control. And it takes some pressure off coach because I'm sure all the coaches we're speaking with or or who hear this have felt that pressure of it's on me to figure out the just right thing to do or say to motivate this young person to produce a winning team. And so imagine having some of that pressure off of you because you'll learn how to skillfully, be curious with athletes, ask them what I call quality questions, not why questions and challenge them to do. And my litany is, more of their own thinking, listening, talking, remembering, and deciding all along the pathway you travel together. It's about getting on with growing up and maturing and developing and becoming self-reliant. My soapbox is self-reliance. I haven't had anyone argue that's not a good place to get to. (laughs) So that's what it's yes. about in the intention. And again, it's practical, useful skills, how to ask questions, how to break down questions so that they're answerable. So instead of asking, you know, how was school today? Years ago, I mentioned to parents, you could ask what's one thing you really enjoyed? What was my trouble spot? It's so you break down questions that way. And then you look at how to ask questions in terms of, open or closed questions, et cetera, et
0: cetera. You talked about the training course that you guys are working on. Is that something a coach is interested in, in partaking in? How would they go about doing that?
1: Actually, I appreciate the question. I, this is, um, we're just in it right now. We have week two, we have four more weeks. And the intention this first round is we have some coaches that Tyler knew already, so they're helping us develop the online training program or live training program six weeks um, to really make sure it's on target. So it's not available yet, but hopefully I think sometime this fall we may have something actually available.
0: Fantastic. If I'm a coach and I want to implement some of the things that you've talked about today, what's, what's the very first thing I need to do? Decide
1: what you're willing to do to tackle new learning. If it is new learning. Practice curves of self-honesty deciding is about, am I willing to be uncomfortable for a little bit? You know, we talked to athletes about You better learn how to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And so, again, it's that modeling moment. Am I the kind of coach who's willing to tackle new learning and be uncomfortable even though I'm already established and I've had some level of success? So that's part of it. And then I think anytime you're starting, you really want to come across and, and use information that's time tested and produces results you you know so you avoid at some level some trial and error learning by you know researching on your own um, connected to what I'm doing I'm not experimenting anymore I said to you before the podcast not arrogantly but confidently I'm looking because f- I'm on the back end of my career I tease about and um <laughs> So I'm looking for younger coaches and athletes who would carry this work forward. And this work being mental, emotional, fitness, training, practices, and skills that literally apply anywhere in life. And I have had young players say to me, well, that situation I was in last week, it used to I would have been wiped out and overwhelmed and devastated by it. Now that I know some things to do to mentally, emotionally, self-manage, it didn't affect me nearly as powerfully. So we're talking about... And the other thing, and I appreciate Eric Daisy again some years ago, complimenting me on taking... Supposedly... Or purportedly viewed as complex subjects like psychology, human psychology, and simplifying it by applying it in doable practices and methods. So that's what I've been up to for the last 40 years. And so I'm looking for young people who want to um, carry on the information. Yeah.
0: Uh, Coach, you've had a, a lot of success with uh, these techniques. Um, we've talked a little bit about, you know, the 06, Oregon State team. Uh, I know you've worked with Olympians, um, you know, multiple national titles uh, for, <clears throat> and so for coaches listening, I hope you, you realize that this does work. Uh, it's like, like you said, Craig, you're not, you're not experimenting anymore. Um, but I'm just curious, as coaches, let's say we start implementing this, how would we know, as coaches, if it's working?
1: Well, one way to know is to directly be able to observe players handling situations differently. You know, you've got a player who blows up and slams and throws equipment and hits walls or whatever, all of a sudden it's calmer and more thoughtful. But also some in tracking results, you know, sport performance results in terms of, um, improvements in batting averages in baseball one win-loss records, um, asking the young people who you're teaching these skills, what's one or two things they're noticing as far as they're more same or less relaxed using the skills. So you can inquire about relaxed body, calm, mind, and not relaxed laid back. I want to take a nap, relaxed, energized so that I can perform consistently from start to finish and I haven't done a lot of quantifying but at some level I can say operating behind the scenes that when I see several of the key players I work with make key contributions performance wise to national championships on six different teams I've been connected to that's some evidence of results. So we we see what's happening with not just one win-loss, but what's happening mentally, emotionally, in terms of team chemistry and connection with each other. Um, Communication, that's a big part of this new book. The subtitle of the new book is The Practical Guide Guide to Mastering Coach-Athlete Communication. Then we find out results some by asking, you know, what do you observe? But um, just one quick story. I did quantify a little bit some years ago when I was working and some people listening might remember Andrew Moore, the top Mm young pitcher for Oregon State Baseball. He and I started working together in the middle of his freshman year because, because he said, Something happens in the fifth inning. he was starting and I'm not getting out of the fifth inning. <clears throat> so we tapped energy points with that phrase, I can't get out of the fifth inning and get some emotional clearing. And then I talked about changing language. And so from shifting from any don't thoughts like I can't get out of the fifth inning to how does he want to pitch? get into the do zone of his performance. So I just asked him, how do you want to pitch? In your own words, we think in words, and our brain runs our body. And he didn't have an answer that day, but a few days later, I was walking by the bullpen, and he said, hey, Greg, I got it. I said, Andrew, what is it? He said, my positive performance phrase, and he chose to call it a power performance phrase, is four pitches or less per batter. So what did that mean? That meant game time, pitch by pitch. He had one job and that's the mindset and the short phrase, four pitches or less. And the fun part of the story is we tracked four games from that point forward. And he started four games. He threw three complete game shutouts in four games, an average 3.1, 3.2 pitches per batter. So that's, one way to know when we get those kinds of results changing. Ben Wetzler in that same generation we started working after his freshman year when he said I'm tired of fighting my head trying to be calm I want to work with you. So in the next two seasons he added the tapping energy points and his power performance phrase was pound down as a pitcher which didn't mean anything to the general public but to him it meant one job stay focused executing pitches low in the strike zone the next two years he went 22 and two and led the nation in era and 0.78 one year yeah. so there those are other ways to know connected in time i mean it's not definitive but right there's a connection in time to adding because then we're talking about consistent top performance So I've said for years, top athletes will always produce some top performances. Champion athletes consistently produce top performances because somehow, some way, they've chosen to learn how to mentally and emotionally self-manage to make them WHOLE, whole athletes, mentally, emotionally, and physically, not just physically.
0: This is great stuff coach. Um, If coaches want more resources or are looking for more techniques or or how to implement those, where, where could they go to maybe find those?
1: So I have a new website, just simply gregwarburton.com. There's contact information and I, a lot of people are using websites to sell. I'm using my website to teach so should someone go to my website, there's actually content on there that's freely accessible. You can actually get to it without having to jump hurdles. <laughs> Not judging, just preferring. Right. And then I have a basic YouTube channel. I have a long way to go to improve on my stage career and my acting on video, but there are some useful, just practical kind of, Short videos me teaching how to tap and describing it a bit more, um, and that's just youtube.com forward slash greg warburton. and And then writing, I'm currently writing more. I don't have a private Facebook page, but I have a business Facebook page where I've been writing the last year or two. So there's some useful articles there. That and when I'm writing, I'm also Writing practically in terms of some teaching in the short articles, and that's just facebook.com forward slash Greg Warburton and the number 6060 because that's the year I
0: my year of age when I started the Facebook page. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect, and we will uh, link to all of those as well in our episode description, um, so it'll all be in one place uh, for listeners that would would like to check.
1: And out. lastly, I would just mention all the books we're talking about are available on Amazon. The new ones on Amazon only. My other books are available in other places, but they're print book, Kindle book, ebook versions and the original Ask More, Tell Less book for coaches with children. I don't say you need it. I'm just suggesting you can enhance your enjoyment as a parent and take some pressure off yourself. is also available as an audio
0: book now. Oh, even better. Perfect. Well, Greg, I want to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. We really appreciate it.
1: Derek, you're very welcome, and I appreciate more than you know getting to have a conversation about moving and expanding mental and emotional self management into
0: the world of sports, into classrooms, into life. So, thank you as well. If you have any follow up questions or want to get a hold of Greg, you can find his contact information in the episode description. We hope you'll join us next time here on the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Until then, coach them up. Thank you for listening to the Oregon Basketball Coaches Podcast. Is there a coach you'd like to hear from or a topic you'd like to hear us discuss? You can write us a message on the Anchor website or send us an email at OregonBasketballCoaches at gmail.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify.